Good morning. I'm Brett. He's Greg. And of course, the big thing everyone will be talking about today, the hard-fought battle. Two powerhouses going head-to-head. -head. Yeah, man. Talking about the Avengers defeating Star Wars The Force Awakens for all-time opening box office. Oh, my word. Come on now. Really? This is this that's is what everyone's going? talking about, isn't it? No, Brett, that's not what everyone's <laughs> talking about. That's not why everybody was up till ten o'clock last night on a Sunday when they should have been in bed at seven thirty. <laughs> They're talking about the Jets' double overtime, one goal away from coming home with a two-zero series lead from Nashville, which would have been spectacular. Uh, the Jets pulled a rabbit out of the hat on Friday night, winning four-one in Nashville. Connor Hellebuck stood on his. Head, and the Jets uh, were one game and then inevitably uh, going into overtime one goal away from coming home with that coveted. It would have been spectacular to come home 2-0. Mark Shifley scored with a buck five left with Hellebuck on the bench. It was exciting as could be. I think I heard people on my street cheering last night when that game got tied up. Yeah, I could hear it too. It was fantastic. Well, do you remember, uh, Just it was just on Friday, where Brittany Greenslade, Global News, down in Nashville, she was speaking with Winnipeg uh, musician Courtney Lynn, who's based in Nashville. Do you remember her prediction? If you don't, here it is. I think Winnipeg's going to win this first game. And then the second game, maybe the Preds might get it. And then when the Winnipeg's back home, game on, we got it. Wow, that's quite the prognostication. Yeah. Very good. I'm going to have to get her uh, her phone number, start placing some bets with her ideas. <laughs> so not bad, right? Coming home one and one, Hellebuck's been amazing. Last night he only had an 8.78 save percentage, and, and Brett, and for those that don't follow the, the numbers that closely, anything under 900 is not very good, uh, but I think you'd excuse Connor Hellebuck last night. Uh, some of the goals that, that he was on the bad end of were not his fault. And the good thing is Hellebuck bounces back when he gives up five goals or more. He's spectacular, typical, typically in the very next game. Mark Shifley establishing himself as one of the top players in the league. Dustin Bufflin, some people a little upset with uh, what happened on the game-winning goal last night. Toby Enstrom, a lightning rod. Yeah, he he made a decision to go after the puck carrier who inevitably passed the puck over to Kevin Fiala, who uh, who who scored the, the goal. A lot of times, a lot of philosophy for a lot of hockey fans is to is to allow the is allowed the shooter to go one on one with the goalie. Yep. As opposed to allowing the pass, because when you allow the pass, it forces the goalie to go side to side, which is how most goalies are most vulnerable. And so Fiala not only got the pass on his forehand and the left side of Hellebuck, who's going from his left to right, Fiala came across, had enough room to come across. Hellebuck, who was sliding to his right and uh, essentially had a little bit of an open net. So it's um, going to be absolutely insane. Well, on Tuesday and Thursday here in Winnipeg as people get ramped up for games three and four. You going to the games? I think I've decided I'm going. You're going to both of them? Yep. You're going to the Thursday game? I'm going to the Thursday game. That's one of those things where you're going to have to map out a, a plan of sleep attack. Yeah, Thursday I will have to be sleeping during the day without question. Might have to sleep right until 7 o'clock or something before going 
downtown and then maybe just come straight to work, depending <laughs> on how on it goes. Couch. Yeah, no big deal, right? This, <laughs> these are the things you do. We've been waiting seven years for this. Well, I could argue been waiting 31-plus years for the Jets to uh, make it into the second round and to actually win a game, which they did Friday night. And uh, this is just this is just a, a fun ride. It's amazing to see the community and how many people are into this and people who are typically not into hockey who are absolutely living and breathing with this series. Yeah, even my mom said that uh, she's uh, getting excited about it, and I haven't heard her mention hockey in years. So uh, it's hard not to get swept up in in this. Where everywhere you go, you see, you know, yesterday at Portage in Maine, you see the Jets flags flying. Uh, you just see random go Jets go sort of stickers plastered in windows and office buildings no matter where you are. It's it's uh yeah, man, it's fun. So hopefully they can keep the the truck moving. Speaking of flags, yep. they were straight out yesterday. That yes. was some wind yesterday mm-hmm. afternoon. Yep. And 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 what was what was the weather description that you sent me? You sent me a screenshot. Yeah. And uh, cuz uh, Brett and I actually do speak to one another over the weekend. <laughs> we just don't pretend on the radio that we actually like each other. <laughs> uh, what was the screenshot you sent me about 6 o'clock last night? It was the Weather Network app and it was there the current condition was 21 degrees. And blowing dust. Blowing dust. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. I've seen smoke. I've seen haze. Forest fire smoke. Some other strange superlatives to describe the air and the and the and the atmospheric conditions. That's one I've not seen before. Yeah. And I po- I took a picture. I was outside just to, to see what the conditions were like. And the I took a picture of the the setting sun. And I posted it to my Instagram story. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's just at Brett McGarry. And the, the it, it's so gray, uh, and I, it's just because there was that much dust. It was like creating this haze. And when I got and I went golfing yesterday, in that what a fool! Anything for golf. But uh, when I got home, I had taken my golf shoes off uh, before I pulled out of the lot. And I got home and I looked down at my feet. And I thought, did I already get a golf tan? And then I took a closer look. It was, I had a lot, like basically my legs were black from dust and dirt. That's ridiculous. Yep. It well, was you know what? Good on you. Good on you for getting out there. Behind the glass, Jerry is here, of course. Guy never takes a day off. I, I don't know what we're going to do if he ever takes a day off. We might just have to shut down the station for the day. Jerry, are we allowed to call you Jerry today or because... The, the social interwebs are, are thinking that you're somebody else today. Do you know who you are today? Um, apparently, according to uh, the Facebooks, I'm Erlith. Erlith is my first name. Who is Erlith? I have no idea. What happened? I logged into my Facebook account today, and it logged into someone else's uh, account. And I can't access my actual account, only this other person's. I don't know that I've ever heard of that. That is really strange, Jerry. It is very strange. That's very concerning, I have and, to say. And uh, you know how it says all the people you may know, and mm-hmm. you can they're, they're all people I actually do know and are friends with, and now it's saying that this other person might know them and might want to be friends with them as well. Wow, behind the glass, Erliff. Doesn't have the same ring. <laughs> well, I just Googled, ever log into Facebook and someone else's profile pops up, and the first thing says, when I log into Facebook, why does someone else's timeline show up on my site. So it looks like you are not alone in this. Um, so hopefully we'll have a figure out a solution for that. If anybody knows a solution, shoot us a text at 204-780-6868. So behind the glass, Jerry can uh, stop being Erlith. 
I don't. Um, I don't like being Erlith. I want to be Jerry again. E R L I F or T H uh, T H T Erlith. Okay, I'd, I'd never heard either name. Um, I found one person who wasn't watching the hockey game last night. Jana. Jana. She says, amazing season opener for The Handmaid's Tale. Shout out to last night from Jana. I had an almost panic attack. I was sitting there. I uh, was flipping through channels trying to figure out if I should watch the game or watch the stuff on my PVR. And I, re- I looked at the clock and thought, oh, The Handmaid's Tale started tonight. And I had to set my PVR for the replay. Thankfully, it recorded. Uh, what's, is it on HBO? Yeah, uh, that's a Bravo. Oh, it's a Bravo. Can you get Bravo on demand? Can you get the shows on demand on Bravo? Uh, ooh, you might be able to. You might also be able to access it on Shaw on demand. I'd have to double check that. But thankfully, I was able to get it. Good good call. But uh, yeah, my, my I. I, last night I had to record Fear the Walking Dead, Ash vs. Evil Dead, Into the Badlands, Westworld, The Handmaid's Tale, Times 2, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think I have a problem. When did Sunday night become the night for television? I don't know. It just like, exploded. Who changed that? HBO changed that, I think, right? I think you're right. With yeah. Breaking Bad, Once Upon a Time? Uh, that was AMC. But the, the Sopranos. Oh, AMC. Yeah, okay. Sopranos. Yeah. yeah, okay. Fair enough. Anyway, conversation for another time. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling with you until 10 o'clock this morning. And as we mentioned, now that the warmer weather is here, ticks. Yes, those dastardly wood ticks are not far behind. Here's Global News reporter Nolan Cole with which ticks are most common and what you can do to protect yourself. Rosie! Rosie! Right here, Rosie! Jason Smiggle and his dog Rosie have been coming to Charleswood Dog Park for three years. Now that warmer weather has arrived in Winnipeg, They'll be on the lookout for small intruders. Well, I've heard that it's tick season right now. Right now in Manitoba, it's mostly black-legged ticks, according to entomologist Taz Stewart. They're the ticks that start when the snow starts to melt. They're the first ones going, hey, I'm here, and they're very, very small. And people don't even realize they're out. Black-legged ticks can carry Lyme disease. There's been a steady increase of confirmed cases of the disease in Manitoba, including 29 cases last year. So what are the best ways to protect yourself? You want to make sure you're wearing long sleeves, long jacket, put an elastic around there and there, spray down with DEET, insect repellent, that will actually repel ticks. Stewart says the population of ticks in Manitoba could be on the rise. We are seeing a natural increase. We're getting warmer and nicer summers slash falls and winters. The cold season is getting shorter as well. More opportunistic opportunities for ticks that really don't belong here. As for Jason Smiggle and his dog Rosie, they've been lucky so far. She's three years old. We come to this park every week and she's had one tick, so we've been pretty lucky. Nolan Cole, Global News. I think Erlith has uh, just invaded uh, our, our board as well. I'm not really sure what happened there. Is Erlith hacking your whole life, Jerry? I think so. My hands weren't even anywhere near the board. <laughs> Why don't you just go with Erlith and then that way we can blame it on it being your first day. <laughs> That'll work perfectly. <laughs> Behind the glass, Erlith. He's, he's Welcome to the morning show. It's my first day. I'm sorry. I, I don't know what the buttons are doing. <laughs> uh, for right those on. just tuning in, uh, Jerry signed into his Facebook this morning, and uh, he's been given another identity, so we may be playing on that throughout the morning. The Council of Ministers of Education Canada has released the results from its latest assessment of the performance of Canadian grade 8 students. I'm Greg, he's Brett. Joining us in studio is Global News reporter Christian O'Mell. He's been here since 4 o'clock this morning, pouring over this report. Clearly you were not educated in Manitoba, Christian, or based on the results, 
you wouldn't be able to uh, okay. do the math required to assess <laughs> this, this report. horrible report for Manitoba, this apparently. 180-something page report. It does not say that Manitoba's graded students are illiterate, Greg. It says that they are the worst at reading, though, compared to their counterparts in every other province. Now, the gap isn't that big between them and New Brunswick, Newfoundland, and Saskatchewan. But we've seen in past reports from this group, and it's an awkward title, the Council of Ministers of Education, comma, Canada. Mm-hmm. But I digress. Maybe they should work on their grammar. That's, yeah, it's not important. But yeah, they are, they are <laughs> 10th out of 10. And that's where they have sat in previous reports as well. Now, they're up from their last report in 2013, but that's more so because the number that year was so far lower than previous years. So here we are. The way they measure it, there's a bunch of numbers that we most people don't have a reference point for. So what I can say is this. They have a three-level system, level one, level two, level three for reading. Level two is... Th- the basic proficiency, that's the baseline, that's the expected level okay. that you're that you're supposed, supposed to be at. 83% of English students in Manitoba were at that number, which is pretty close to the national average. Uh, a few points lower, though, overall, because the French score brings it down. 70% of French students read at that proficiency so level. So students in French immersion yes. are... are Doing worse at reading in Doing Manitoba. At, okay, yes. gotcha. So, no, so in English. No, like all French, so French students, if you're in a French school, yes. you're doing worse at reading than an English kid in an English school would be. Okay, okay. so got it. So, oh, so the drop in French proficiency is actually one of the worst in the countries, in the country, singular. Now I'm getting a problem with grammar. Uh, it's also the second largest gap between English and French in Canada Nova Scotia is the only one that's bigger, and Nova Scotia has a bigger problem in this regard in other categories as well. But in a lot of spots, French proficiency is going up in reading. They're killing it in math across the board. Quebec is far and away the best in math, and this report does look at reading, math, and science. The main focus was on reading, Uh, but right now we're looking at Manitoba and saying, okay, well, the numbers are going up. Maybe not as quick as other provinces, but they're going up, which is good. However, we're still in last in reading, last in math, and we have managed to pull into a tie for last with Saskatchewan in science. Ooh, we've pulled into a tie. Yes, we are tied for ninth with Saskatchewan. I always knew those guys in Saskatchewan were no good at science. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, we're equally as bad. You know, I, I learned about something. Uh, I don't. I don't know if it was in uh, early years of uh, university or in in uh, high school about something called graph chopping. Okay. Something that that statisticians like to do to emphasize their point, right? And so if you cut the graph, the top part of the graph, Manitoba looks as though it's doing horrible versus the rest of the country. How bad is it versus the rest of the country? Can you put it into some sort of perspective, Christian? Well, in different categories, it's closer than others. Reading, I mean, when we say we're worse than New Brunswick, Newfoundland, Saskatchewan, it is a matter of just a couple points on a thousand-point scale. Manitoba's at 489, one's at 491, one's at 493. It's really close. It's a matter of a percentage point or two. Still in last place, but the gap is pretty small. Uh, To math, same thing. They had the fourth smallest jump from previous scores. 
still last place. Again, it's it's fairly close with Saskatchewan, just a microscopic difference. But again, the gap between English and French. Here's an interesting thing I gleaned in Manitoba, the French school system here. It's the only system, English or French, in Canada to have a worse score in math this go-round in 2016 than the tests in 2010. It's the only province where English students performed better at math than French students in all nine other provinces, actually seven, because PEI and Newfoundland don't register in this for French students. But in the other of the other seven, Manitoba is the only one where English performed better at math than French. Really? Yes. And in science, uh, Manitoba had actually the biggest, second biggest jump in science scores compared to the last test in 2013. So that's good news. So you, is this just a massive data dump, or do they have reasons or theories as to why this is the, is the case? I mean, it's a standardized test, right? So they have a bunch of words that they go through in their theory and a lot of language that isn't maybe relatable. They've got a, their theories and their mission statements and what each province does, and I kind of read through them, and it's like, well, that doesn't quite explain it. So you're having Ian Wishard on. It'll be a good question to ask him, okay, well, the numbers are going up, but why the French numbers are going down? Right. Because right. that is something that's, no, you know, unusual here because most of the provinces are seeing numbers go up. So, across the board, but not in French and Manitoba. So all grade eight students across the country take these tests? Not all. It is a random select. Well, I don't know if it's a random selection, but it's 27,000 students in about 1,500 schools across the country. So there's a good swath taken. Not all kids get to take it. I'm sure if you're a kid, get. You, you'd probably get to take it. You'd probably be okay with not taking it. I would imagine you would be. <laughs> I mean, you've got kids that are coming up to that age, right, Craig? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I do. <laughs> one does really well on tests, the other hates tests. But that doesn't mean that one is not as smart as the other. No, I would agree testing with that. Testing is not necessary. And we can go into the, the merits of what testing actually proves. But what this testing has shown is that there's a proficiency that Manitoba students aren't hitting that other students across the country are. Yeah, I mean, and, and you make a good point about the testing as well. Some people, I was great at taking tests. I got awesome grades in school because I was able to take tests really well, but I didn't learn anything. Right. I would learn what I needed to learn to do the test, and then I would forget. And, I'm the same uh, way. And I wish that I had learned a different way, um, but yeah, I, so the testing, that's just something to keep in mind. Well, and I think that's what some of the critics of the test are going to suggest, is that A, not everyone does well on tests. Maybe we have a it's tough to argue that you have a higher proportion of students that are not good at taking tests. And so a, and that'll a, be tough. A pattern repeated over time. Correct. So that'll be that would be a tough excuse. But I think that the question, the concern is going to be for critics of the test is going to be, well, now does that mean we have to adjust the curriculum to teach towards the test? A test as opposed to well, that, that, that's the question. Is the curriculum what you want it to be? What is it teaching? I don't know the last time I used the Pythagorean theorem, but you got to learn it in school. <laughs> well, you said it very well. So <laughs> We used to say Pythagore because I was in French immersion. Oh, yeah. So And I think at when I was in French immersion, yeah, this, that, this strikes me as odd when you say the numbers are going down because I think uh, at the time that was not the case. So, Christian O'Mel, thank you very much for bringing us details on this report. 
we heard from Global News reporter Christian O'Mell that grade 8 students in Manitoba are at the back of the class. The info comes from a new report from the Council of Ministers of Education Canada and is based on how well those students performed on standardized testing. This morning we're having coffee talking. Do these thing do you think these tests prove anything? Brett McGarry, Shanalee Vidal, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun, behind the gr- glass, Erlith, and yours truly, Greg <laughs> Mack. Present. Present. Hi, Erlith. <laughs> Hello. Did you delete that Facebook account? I, I deactivated Erlith's Facebook account, and I got into my actual Facebook account. Well, welcome back behind the glass, Jerry. Great Thank to have you uh, with us. Why don't we you. start with you? Standardized testing, something that's been controversial for years and years. Uh, what, what What's your take on this? Well, you know, I hate standardized testing, but is there another way to try to figure out if the kids are learning what they should be learning? Is there another way? It's kind of like you're looking at it going, well, okay, uh, this isn't the greatest thing in the world, but who has a better idea? You know what? You, you put it succinctly. Jeff Braun, what's your take on this? Ah, uh, I haven't written a test in like 25 years, so I don't care. Did you normally, <laughs> did you normally do well? Uh, on standardized uh, tests? Did, like, did you normally do uh, on testing overall? Did yeah, yeah. You, did, yeah were you comfortable good, in the I testing environment? Of, yeah, and I, they always, I felt they always sort of accurately represented whether or not I knew the material. If I did, if I thought I knew it, I'd do good in the test. And there were some times where I knew going in, I had no clue, and the score always reflected that. I do remember one chemistry standardized test where there was stuff on there that they never taught us a lot of it, and. Like I think I got forty four percent and was like the best one of the best marks in our class. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. Shanley Vidal. Um, it's funny because a, a few of my teachers' friends uh, they're not too too fond of standardized testing and they don't feel it accurately reflects what these students are learning. But like Jerry said, how else are you going to measure what students are learning? You need some sort of bar to to weight against. I know when I had to do the standardized tests back when I was in school, I don't remember it being too big of a problem. I don't remember it being too overly difficult. I remember it being long and taking a long time, but I, I it seemed to be an accurate measure. But that's my perspective from many years ago. Yeah, I took, uh, I think I remember taking the tests in grade nine, and there was one test, like I think in one hand it, it kind of helps to, to see where your aptitudes are. Uh, there was one leg of one of the tests, I believe it was called spatial reasoning, and it was a series of, it was kind of a multiple choice where they would give you a figure mm-hmm. in kind of 3D, like a cube or some sort of weird shape, and then you'd have three choices and you had to pick which is the, this first choice in reverse. And... I was clueless on that. I I, ter- I was the last one to finish the test by 20 minutes. I just really struggled at that. But that was the only time, I think, in school where we did something like that. So there were things on those tests that I had never seen and never saw again. Kelly, as a parent, as a student once upon a time, what's your, what's your take on these tests? Well, I honestly don't remember if back in the day uh, we did... Uh, standardized testing. I, I honestly don't remember, uh, but uh, I'm not a big believer in lumping everybody into one big group and then uh, deciding, okay, this is where you fit into the grand scheme of things. I think you are always going to have situations where you have those who excel at math and science, and then those who say, 
you know, they give it to Jeff Braun. Like, I'm never going to use this, so why should I bother? So is there, exactly. a, is yeah. there a concern as a taxpayer, as a citizen of Manitoba, that uh, if we want to use your theory, that a higher portion of the population of Manitoba doesn't test well? Does that concern you? Does that, not does, that iota. does that mean that your tax dollars are not being well spent in the ta- in the in the school system? No, because they might be excelling at another area area rather that uh, isn't measured by this standardized testing. So no, I, I I don't consider it a waste of taxpayers' money at all. Does standardized testing actually test the student or the teacher? Good question. And I know that the, the teachers then are going to be, there's probably going to be some criticism hurled at the teachers as well. And uh, hopefully we'll be speaking with the teacher society at some point today on CJOB to get their reaction. I know, Greg, that uh, we've had the opportunity to speak with a number of teachers over the last year, couple of years, and we've met some really bright, innovative, creative yeah. teachers and uh, regardless of what the tests show, uh, I think the today's young people um, are super bright. I mean, we uh, just one of our youngest colleagues, Austin Siragusa, who's uh, now a video journalist at Global Television, uh, 18 years old, gets a job at CJOB. When I was, I got my job here when I was 24, and I was terrified of everything. Austin comes in with all the confidence in the world, smart kid. So uh, he's just I, 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 it's it's not good that Manitoba is at the bottom of the stack here. But I think you know, let's not overreact. Yes, exactly. I was just going to say you stole the words out of my mouth, Brett. Let's not have a knee jerk reaction. You know, do you want to get better? Yes. But uh, I think let's look at it pragmatically rather than emotionally. Shanley, do you want uh, teachers teaching to this test? Well, I think I think it, it you know really depends. Obviously, there's stuff in the test that maybe aren't aren't usually covered, or they're only covered when the tests are happening. I think the important thing is: are the students learning? Are they are they learning the things that they that are necessary for them to progress in their next levels of education and on to university? I think that is the important test right there. Well, then then back to Jerry's point. Then I would use Jerry's point to counterpoint your current point, <laughs> and that is: how else do you know? How, what other way would you know if, if students are getting getting that education? and not that proper standard, Jerry. Yeah, absolutely. There, There is no other way at this moment in time. When they come up with something else that works better, let's try it out. If you have any suggestions, text us, 204-780-6868. You can email brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com. And, uh, Greg, your boys are 11. Have they done any tests no, like this yet? No, not yet. I guess they're just a couple of short years away from this sort of thing. Uh, I, I remember doing the uh, testing, right? You needed the HB pencil, and that was the only way that the computer could read <laughs> the, your uh, answers on the uh, on the uh, computer card or whatever it was, and you had to be careful not to go outside the lines. Uh, I guess that's the first thing we learn in school is to color inside the lines. Yeah, I'm, I'm not certain about this. I, I'm not saying that I don't trust the the data uh, because uh, clearly gigantic 27,000 tests written across the country 1500 institutions of learning that they're sampling from I just don't I just not certain that this is the way we want to go is teaching to a standardized test like this do these standardized tests that they get uh, a little bit of an upgrade each year too just to uh, you know bring them into modern society It'd be or, interesting to know that yeah, or is it you know the same questions that have been asked 
nine, ten years ago. Yeah, it's also a really uh, fascinating question. Uh, th- this is this is not. I like your idea, like knee jerk reaction. I mean, if we were first in everything, I guess we'd be celebrating the test. Uh, yeah. When we're on the other side of it, uh, we're dissecting it a little bit, right? Shanley Vidal, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun behind the glass, Jerry. Thank you very much. Go Jets, go! Go Jets, go! Go Jets, go! Go Jets, go! That is Winnipegger Courtly Lynn, who's a performer in Nashville. We introduced her to you last week, Brittany Greenslade. Met her at BNA, the Nashville International Airport. And Courtney Lynn, Brett, accurately prognosticated, predicted the outcome of the first two games in Nashville. Yeah, here is that clip uh, in case you missed it. I think Winnipeg's going to win this first game. And then the second game, maybe the Preds might get it. And then when the Winnipeg's back home, game on, we got it. Brittany Greenslade, not a bad prediction on Courtney's part. Yes, I didn't enjoy her for that at first. I said, "What do you mean they're gonna they're gonna lose the second game? You can't say that while you're wearing a jet shirt." Um, but last night was an incredible game. Obviously, a very very hard fought game, uh, and and Courtney predicted it. Now, Brittany, uh, I've been battling with my voice with a little bit of a chest cold over the last few days. Your voice, I suspect, is a little bit off this morning because you got pretty close to the ice last night. Tell us about your experience inside Bridgestone Arena and how did you get those tickets? No, mine is definitely because I'm sick as well. That's definitely why my voice is worse. Let's see excuse we'll go with. Um, yes, we ended up snagging some fourth row tickets uh right beside the jets bench so um i put my we are winnipeg shirt on which i had to keep in my bag while i was working obviously uh and and got to enjoy the game last night and have some fun with some winnipeg fans and um yeah we snagged we snagged some some pretty awesome tickets last night and and for winnipeggers that um if you know there's a game five that's going to be happening down here not that hard to to get tickets actually once you get down here it is possible so if you want to make the trip there there are ways there are ways to get tickets and i will tell you for game one um i met some winnipeggers who snagged tickets for a hundred bucks now Brittany, were you heckled at the game at all for wearing jets gear yes <laughs> absolutely um, we were surrounded, obviously, by that sea of yellow, that tide of yellow. And we had some, some girls behind us that were giving us a bit of a hard time and the gentleman beside us. And uh, it, it was all in good fun. Nobody was, was mean or, or mean-spirited. Um, everyone was, was heckling, but in, in a very fun way. And obviously, um, once, once we went into that first overtime, it, 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 it got even worse. <laughs> It was fun. It was it was a good time. Predators fans definitely know how to uh, how to to give their heckling as much as uh, they'll take it. Brittany Greenslade joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, where the Jets uh, walk away with uh, one win, one loss. The loss last night in double overtime. Kevin Fiala with the goal, five thirty-seven into the uh, second overtime period. It, it really felt as though the Jets were going to win that game in that first overtime, Brett. Oh my goodness. There was, I was with four Jets fans beside me and we thought we had it. We were so close. 
But I will tell you that how the Jets played last night, it was a different team than we saw on Friday. Um, we had a great game on Friday, but we were outshot. Last night was definitely a different story. Both teams wanted to get that win. Obviously, the Predators uh, ended up capturing that. But the Jets fought really, really hard last night. And uh, I think all of us would have been happily surprised had we come back to Winnipeg with two wins. Brittany Greenslade, uh, we'll check back in with you next hour. North Korea, South Korea, powerful pictures from what they call the DMZ on Friday as uh, North Korea and South Korea embracing one another. It's mind-boggling to see how this has transpired, how this has happened over the last several weeks since the Winter Olympic Games, essentially, that uh, North Korea and South Korea have had uh, these relations and and open dialogue uh, between one another. Kim Jong-un is promising to give up his nuclear weapons if the U.S. promises not to invade his country. But there is still deep skepticism. What does it mean for denuclearization in North Korea? Global National's Washington correspondent Inez de la Quatera reports. President Trump is mocking those who dare question the role he played when it comes to North Korea. They were saying, what do you think uh, President Trump had to do with it? I'll tell you what, like how about everything? With North Korean leader Kim Jong-un's historic meeting with South Korean President Moon Jae-in and Kim saying he'll get rid of his nuclear weapons, Trump is now bragging about the role he played in getting to this point. We'll be doing the world a big favor. We'll be doing the world a big favor. Today, more progress. Kim told Moon he'll abandon his nuclear weapons if the U.S. agrees to formally end the Korean War and promise not to invade his country. Pyongyang also says it'll dismantle a nuclear test site next month and that it'll invite security experts and journalists to observe the closure. You can't just trust the North Koreans. You've got to be very careful. Still, the fact that Kim is even discussing this is a breakthrough. The Trump administration says it's all thanks to one person. I think it's clear we're here where we are today because of the pressure that the Trump administration has put on North Korea. Economic pressure, political military pressure. But how much credit does Trump actually deserve? Some say his methods, which included trading insults with Kim, were risky. Sure, I mean, let's give Donald Trump credit for bringing us to the brink of nuclear war and having that threat loom over us in a way that it hasn't in the last 50 years. They argue the South Korean president should get more recognition. He ran and won on the promise of opening up a dialogue with North Korea, which the rest of the world met with skepticism. President Moon is the is the adult here in this scenario. President Moon has made the effort to bring about peace. Um, Donald Trump wants the credit and uh, Kim Jong-un wants a photo, wants to be seen. But the reality is it's now up to Trump to seal the deal when he meets face to face with Kim in three to four weeks. No bell. <laughs> and Trump supporters are already calling for him to win the peace prize. Inez de la Quatera, Global News, Washington. You know what would be fascinating? And this will never happen, I don't think, although we've seen a lot of nevers in the last several weeks as it pertains to this relationship, to, for someone to sit down with Kim Jong-un and say, what happened? How do we go from, from this bombast, from these missile tests, and you threatening the rest of the world, 
what turned things around for you? What made you what made you change your stance and to sit down and, and, and visit with President Moon? Was it what happened at the Olympics with his sister between the president of South Korea and Kim Jong-un's sister? Uh, what was it? What was the key event here? And or is this just a ruse? Yeah, it's a far cry from the, you might remember that parade they had through the streets where they were displaying their military might and they had the missiles running through the streets. Don't they do that on a yearly basis? And the way that their soldiers march in lockstep, which is, say what you will about North Korea, they know how to do a march. Mm, Good marchers. Yeah. Um, But that, that, so you go from this display of power to shaking hands with South Korea. It is... How, how can you not be skeptical, right? It's just such a bizarre thing to see. Well, it, it feels too good to be true. And you know what they say about situations like that. They generally are interesting to see Donald Trump. Uh, he, he, he can never be humble, right? Yeah. Under any circumstance. On Friday, Richard and Julie Buckingham, uh, Richard Cluche and Julie Buckingham, I'm putting them together there, Whoa. spoke to John Gillis as uh, he's a Korean war veteran from Manitoba. And he says he too has his doubts about North Korea. At least three times before, and maybe more. But uh, you know, the North comes and they say, "Okay, we're going to uh, get rid of our arms and what have you, and give us uh, this and give us that, and we need some more foreign aid." And they they usually get it all, and then they go against everything they agreed on. John Gillis, Korean War veteran from Manitoba, talking about North Korea. The Council of Ministers of Education Canada has released the results from its latest assessment of the performance of Canadian grade 8 students. Through standardized testing, the Pan-Canadian Assessment Program tested roughly 27,000 students from nearly 1,500 schools across the country. With this round of testing focused more on reading. It found that the mean score for Manitoba students ranked last in reading, last in math, and tied with Saskatchewan for last in science. To get his thoughts on Manitoba's placement, we are joined live on 680 CJOB by Manitoba's Minister of Education, Ian Wishart. Mr. Minister, good morning to you. Good morning. So, Mr. Minister, what do the results of this testing say to you? Well, they certainly indicate we have a lot more work to do. Um, There is some signs of of, um, sort of stabilization in the reading levels. And I guess across Canada, you can see that uh, the levels have risen in general. Um, You look at, uh, you know, this is a a snapshot, uh, and it helps us determine what the trends are. And certainly uh, to Manitoba, it's got to tell us that we have a lot more work to do. One of the things that uh, Global News reporter Christian O'Mell uh, was able to, to dig up by uh, pouring through this report is that uh, French numbers are going down, uh, which is a trend that is sort of sort of bucking the trend uh, that is happening in the rest of the country. Any idea what might be happening with uh, Manitoba's French schools? Well, there's been a lot of growth in, in uh, both French and French immersion, uh, and it's been a battle, I know, to find uh, good teachers in that area, we don't seem to graduate enough in, in our own system, so we're often looking out of province. So uh, that may be a factor in there, but, uh, you know, we uh, we need to uh, help help them focus on, the, it's particularly the sciences and the math that, the, that they're struggling with, and uh, we need to help them in that area, and we need to find some solutions. 
we've had a, a summit in January on uh, literacy and numeracy, and we had some very solid suggestions coming out of that. From it was a wide ranging group, over 800, uh, and uh, I think we'll we'll uh, certainly be releasing some recommendations and some action plans coming forward from that very soon. The province of Manitoba's education minister is Ian Wishart. He joins us live on 680 CJOB. In dissecting the numbers from 2013, Minister Wishart, notice that uh, the report did note that Manitoba and Saskatchewan do deal with socioeconomic uh, conditions unlike any other two provinces in the country. Is that uh, consistent through the data that you're finding in, in the testing from 2016? Well, certainly socioeconomic factors are a big part of of the education. You can't separate the two. Uh, And so it's certainly a factor. Uh, But the testing results are really on uh, on public schools, mental public schools, uh, and and private schools as well. So they they don't pick up all of the uh, First Nations schools, if that's what you're implying. Uh, So the testing is not complete in that regard. Uh, So it is hard, hard to use that to generalize. And back in 2014 as well, then-Education Minister uh, James Allen said that when the previous government came into power, they inherited an education system in disrepair, and then they, they say that they spent time repairing that. As far as the system that needed repairing, would you say that it's well on its way, or does it still need a lot of work? Well, it, it can need, continually needs work. Uh, I mean, literacy and numeracy is not something that uh, you just, there's no quick fixes for this. You have to start particularly in the early years and follow it all the way through the education system. So in all honesty, uh, you know, though we're looking to improve our results all the way through the system to get a major turnaround, it does take a period of time uh, and you have to start in the early years. And uh, we already have begun some of that and we certainly are working towards doing more of that now and into the future. But it's not something, you know, we've tried in the past some quick fixes. They really don't seem to help very much. Minister Wishart, uh, there'll be plenty of educators who say that that uh, teaching towards a test like this, a standardized test, can be dangerous, uh, that there'll be fears that that will be the, the mandate somewhat. I have to ask it to you this way. Where does this where does this test and these standardized tests fit on the indicators that education, the quality of education that students are getting in Manitoba? If if you were putting it on a, a list of, of factors that that you use to, to grade the system from your position. Well, and I think we all have to be cautious just to look at the spot results of one test. You what you really need to look to is the trends that are there. And there's just a few data points here to, to work from Go, going back. Uh, it does certainly indicate that we're not, we haven't made the turnaround. We aren't moving upwards on the scale. Uh, but it, as I said, all of Canada actually improved uh, this time, which was certainly a very positive factor. Uh, and there's, if you look back, where some other provinces that have done poorly in the past have certainly been able to improve some of their results. So there certainly does indicate to me that there is room for improvement and it can be accomplished. And so we're setting out to do that. We're uh, going to roll out a literacy and numeracy initiative that we hope uh, will help improve uh, results. But it does take time for, you know, to go through the system and for kids to work their way because this is a grade eight test. Uh, and uh, the real big improvements to, to be made are in the early years. And, and then, of course, those kids have to work their way through the system. 
Minister of Education Ian Wishart. One of our listeners earlier made uh, an observation and said, look, you you shouldn't or comparing these results to what is happening elsewhere in Canada is not something that is helpful because different provinces have different curriculum. What do you say to that? Um, well, there is a little bit of, I mean, certainly we uh, all uh, try and work together to make sure we're teaching the same thing across Canada. That's one of the things the Canadian uh, Minister's Council on Education does. Um, but, you know, we, we need to continue to work together to, to get this up. We have some standardization in, in the process, uh, but it uh, it does indicate to us that we need to do more work here in Manitoba. Absolutely. Is, is there a danger of overreacting to these results today, Minister Wishart? Well, we're already uh, in the process, I would say, uh, you know, trying to work uh, towards better results. We know that we've been low for a number of years. Uh, you know, I like I said, with single point in, in, the, uh, in the testing cycle doesn't really tell you all that much. It's more about the trends. Uh, and uh, the trend this time it really is, if anything, you could say optimistically, it shows some minor improvements in uh, reading from where we were previous years, but it still shows us we have uh, to make improvements, in, especially in sciences and math. And as our, uh, as our industry requires more of that type of uh, well-educated um, worker in the future, we need to make improvements in that area if we're going to meet the needs uh, of uh, Manitoba in the future. Minister Wishart, thank you for this. We appreciate your time and your access this morning. No problem. Take care. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling and Behind the Glass Jerry. Who is this that you're playing? That's Eric Church. And why are you playing it? He's headlining Dauphin's Country Fest this year. June 28th, July 1st, Global's Brittany Greenslade in Nashville. We're going back there. It's been a tough assignment, hasn't it, Brittany? Oh, it's tough, but someone has to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you know, speaking of Eric Church, my buddy was down in Nashville last week on business, and uh, he was in one of the many uh, bars down on Broadway there, Brittany, and uh, who happened to show up to do a couple of uh, couple of songs. But Eric Church himself—it's not uncommon for these big co- big country stars to to show up and and to do a few songs or even play a couple sets of songs. It happens all the time, uh, as you both know. When I landed, we ran into. Uh, John Mayer was the first person and the only celebrity that we saw down here. But everybody that we've talked to um, down here in Nashville, uh, especially at places like Tootsie's, where they literally have a roped off area for VIP musicians as you walk in the door. And it's not uncommon to see Kid Rock or Miranda Lambert or anyone that's in town sitting there and that's it's it's iconic that's what uh, these places are in Nashville it doesn't matter where you go and so many of these musicians own bars down here as well and it's not uncommon to see them take the stage at their own bar now last night Carrie Underwood Mike Fisher's wife sang the national anthem at the game she's yet to respond to Chris Jericho's request for a bet on the on the series, so we're waiting for Carrie Underwood to do that. But you uh, witnessed some battle of the anthems in a bar yourself. It was pretty amazing, and it just shows you exactly what Nashville is. Um, I was in one of the bars before the games with a bunch of Jets fans, and it didn't matter 
who was singing. There were some Go Jets Go, very loud cheering going on. And it was actually a gentleman from Nova Scotia. Because down here, everybody works on tips. You have to understand that there's there's incredible country singers in every bar. Um, you can put $20 in and, and request a song. That's how it works. And this gentleman from Nova Scotia put $100 in to hear the Canadian anthem. <laughs> so one of the country singers from Winnipeg actually got up on stage, sang that anthem with about 10 Jets fans. And you could just see Jets fans walking in from the street as they heard that Canadian anthem being sung. And then it was an American that then put $20 in <laughs> to battle it out and wanted to hear the American anthem. And it was it was just a really good time. But it was this this battle of the anthems that really came out of out of nowhere in the middle, and that's what you kind of come to expect in Nashville. Now, Brittany, I understand that uh, you met a Predators fan who got to go to the game thanks to a Winnipeg Jets fan? Yes! <laughs> we don't hear things like that happening very often. Uh, getting tickets to a playoff game in general is very coveted. Uh, getting tickets to a Jets game is very coveted, and these playoff tickets are, are hard to come by. Um, there was a, a group of Jets fans, and one of the guys had an extra ticket, and he actually ended up giving it to the country singer who was on stage at Tootsie's, who was wearing a Predator's hat, and you can imagine just how incredibly thrilled he was. Well, I think it's it's uh, it's going to be a, a fun series because it, they're both Central Division rivals. Um, so the Central Division is obviously really competitive against each other, and and uh, so I think yeah, it's going to be just a, a rough and tough series, and it's going to be fun for the fans, for especially like Winnipeg fans. Like if they're coming down to Nashville, maybe they've never been here before. Especially if they like country music, they can kind of do everything they want to do right down here on Broadway and hit up all the bars and go to the game at Bridgestone and, and all the fun's kind of in one spot down here. So I think it's hockey and country music all mixed together. That guy's named Blaine Holcomb. He's from upstate New York. He's been in Nashville three years. Big Sabres fan. Seems friendly, Brittany. And uh, I understand that you were used as a, a picture prop by other friendly Nashville. Nashvillains? Should we call them Na- that? Nashvillains. Nash- Nash- I like it. No, no. <laughs> in this case, for our purposes, they are Nashvillains, <laughs> Brittany Greenslade. Yes. I have to say I've never been used as a prop before, but <laughs> I was with a, a number of Jets fans, and as much as we got people kind of you know poking fun at us at the game everybody wanted to have their picture taken with the Jets fan it it turned into a bit of a novelty act as we were down there Uh, so it it was really fun it was and I have to tell you I I met two blasphemy two Jets fans who wore Predator shirts because they were too scared to walk in there in their own jerseys (laughs) (laughs) I am I, I told them I'm as for the good of Canada, I took their passports away. Yeah, I, I would say so. Now they had the T-shirts, <laughs> the yellow T-shirts. Are you sick of that color yet? You have good fashion sense, Brittany. Isn't that just a putrid color of yellow? Yellow doesn't look good on anyone. Oh, Let it's me. awful. <laughs> it's just terrible. <laughs> but I'll tell you, you walk in there and, and they've got a shirt on top of every chair as you walk in. We don't have to do that in Winnipeg. That's Everyone right. shows up. We support our whiteout. And Winnipeg Jets fans don't need the free shirt exactly. to bring the Whiteout. I think that's one of the best things ever about the Whiteout, that they've never given away a T-shirt in order to accomplish it. Brittany, uh, how are you getting home? And uh, are, like, are you hitchhiking? Uh, what's the plan <laughs> to get home? 
Uh, I called my boss on Thursday and told him I, I wasn't coming home. Uh, so I'm not sure how well that went over. I am on my way to the airport in the next 15 minutes or so. And uh, we'll be flying through Toronto. And I will be back in Winnipeg by about 6 o'clock tonight. All right, Brittany Greenslade. Hey, thank you very much for this great work down there. It looks like you've had a lot of fun. We're all very jealous. Thanks, guys. All right. And by the way... Uh, Greg, Chris Jericho, Fozzie, that's his Instagram account, Chris Jericho Fozzie. He's got a picture here, and it's two. It's a picture on top and a picture on the bottom. The one on the top is Winnipeg Whiteout, and it shows all the Winnipeg fans in their white jerseys. And then the bottom picture is Nashville Sea of P. And it's a bunch of uh, Nashvillains in their yellow jerseys. Very nice. Well done, Chris. Uh, Carrie Underwood, uh, we're still looking at you. That uh, the, the the series of tweets that I sent out on our conversation with Chris Jericho had a, a mention reach of over three million between Friday and Saturday on Twitter. So to imagine that Carrie Underwood has not seen the mention of this bet, this offer of a wager from Chris Jericho seems impossible to me. We have not heard from her yet. We saw her perform the national anthem last night. Carrie Underwood, we're calling you out one more time. The norm for the last oh, 30 years or so in this marketplace, Kelly, uh, by this time of year, Winnipeg hockey fans, for the most part, uh, those that don't have affiliations with uh, New York Rangers or Montreal Canadiens or other teams around Pittsburgh the National Penguins. Hockey Pittsburgh Penguins, yeah. basically um, those fans have been involved only in terms of hockey pools by this time mm-hmm. of the year, right? Uh, but now the Jets uh, in round two coming home from Nashville. Uh, tied at one in this series that has been really on the calendar, not only of Jets and Predators fans, but hockey fans across North America have been anticipating this series. Is it delivering on the entertainment factor, Kel? Last night it did. Uh, Friday night, I mean, as well as the Winnipeg Jets played, and, and people are going to say, what are you talking about? They got outshot 48-19. Yeah, you didn't I, watch I the game, watched the game from, your, a different, yeah. Yeah, from a little bit of a different lens. I, I really wish the National Hockey League would switch from shots on goal to scoring opportunities. Uh, I think that's a far better barometer. So, so that's how I'm saying Friday night's game played out. I thought the Jets played very well from that perspective. However, last night was what we thought this series would be in terms of the pace, in terms of the intensity, in terms of the absolute nastiness, and in terms of the goaltenders both thinking they're like Tom Hanks with Wilson on an island to themselves. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Several times. Uh, Pekka Rene was a little bit uh, yeah. a little bit off of the first uh, 18 uh, uh, to 25 minutes of that game. I thought if uh, Patrick Laine doesn't hit the post in the right. second period. I believe it was the second period. That, ga- that yeah. game's done, and Pekka Rene's probably on the bench again for the third time in four games. But, but we uh, moved back. That did not happen. The Jets want to point out. They are 16-3 and in their last 19 games. They're hot as a pistol. And for P.K. Subban, for him to give that kind of look, that innocent choir boy look that he gave to the media on Thursday when he was asked if he was comfortable coming to Winnipeg as the villain, I think we learned last night why P.K. Subban will be the villain tomorrow night. Oh, he absolutely loves that role. And that's what makes P.K. Subban such an outstanding player. 
Uh, it's, it is what makes him valuable because all of a sudden he becomes the magnet and it opens up uh, for uh, opens up area for his teammates. So if he can continue to grind and get under the skin of the Winnipeg Jets, well, then that's good for Nashville. Having said that, I don't know that he's been able to accomplish that just yet. You know, yes, there was some hacking and whacking, some serious hacking and whacking that Figure was going on. Figure four leg lock behind yeah, the net. Exactly. Yeah, Chris Jericho would have been proud of that. 100%. Yeah. Sort but, of. But I don't know that P.K. Subban has distracted the Winnipeg Jets from doing what they need to do. So that's a battle still to be fought, but you bet the fans are just going to be all over P.K. Subban uh, tomorrow night and Thursday night uh, uh, down in downtown Winnipeg. Is that his role historically? He's, he loves that. He P.K. Subban is a dynamic, charismatic, incredibly talented hockey player. I mean, and, and he's on the ice a lot. Just about 40 minutes last night. No other player uh, had as many minutes as P.K. Subban did. So uh, it is it is a role that he absolutely relishes going back to his days in Montreal. And he, he'll continue to do that in this series. The you know, I thought it was a great battle between the number one lines of these two teams. You know, Johansson, Arvidsson, and Forsberg versus Shifley, Wheeler, and Connor. That, to me, that was uh, just a very compelling battle uh, in the game last night. And it's kind of interesting listening to the post game interviews. You would have thought Nashville completely cleaned Winnipeg's clock in the overtime uh, with the nature of the questions that were being asked. And I'm thinking, did I? Is this the? The game I watched, because I I saw that overtime go back and forth. It was as good as each team got. Mark Scheifele establishing himself as not only the best player on the Winnipeg Jets, but one of the best players in the National Hockey League. Yeah, well, he's leading the postseason in goal scoring right now with eight goals. Uh, Alex Ovechkin and others have seven. Jake Gensel uh, is in that uh, group as well. But yeah, and it's when he's scoring them too, Greg. Yeah, you know, he gets that big goal late in the first period to give them the lead. Gets the absolutely monstrous goal near the end of the third period. And uh, we often talk about Patrick Lyon for good reason, you know, for his uh, ability to to shoot that puck. Uh, but boy, Mark Shifley in the slot is just as lethal. We just have a minute or so left here, yeah. Kelly. Are the Jets missing Joel Armia and or Matthew Parole? You are reading my mind more than than we imagined. Yeah, it, it, well, it, in a series like this, I think you could probably play the fourth line a little bit more if you had. The line set up the way that uh, Paul Maurice uh, and his coaching staff would if everybody was healthy. Uh, but those players will be factors if they're able to get into this series. It will make the Jets a more difficult team to play against. There's no doubt about that. One more uh, real uh, hockey question here. Toby Enstrom, always a lightning rod in this market. You you know what? The, the Jet defense, one of the reasons they create the opportunities they do is because their defense can pinch comfortably knowing there's a forward back. It was just a simple misread. Uh, Andrew Kopp didn't come back and cover for Toby Enstrom. This so is on the game-winning goal last yeah, night. Yeah, that's a team thing that has... You know, you can't pin that just on Anstrom. Yeah, and that's something that they've been doing very well all season long, and uh, in particular in these playoffs. Uh, Toby Anstrom's been overall pretty solid. He had a couple of rough plays last night, but yes, who didn't? didn't? They're playing against there's the a, best team there's in another the team, right? League. There's exactly. another team. Although you wouldn't know it with the three stars that were picked for Nashville. Oh, I saw that's that. <laughs> I laughed. Yeah, it's uh, that, that was kind of hilarious. But anyway, yeah, no, uh, you know what? Everybody just... Just kind of ease out. It's 1-1. 
It is absolutely fantastic hockey. So sit back and enjoy it for what it is. Would have taken that in a heartbeat on Friday morning, right? Yes, you would have. Kelly Moore, thank you very much. And Chris J texted us since we were talking about French stuff this morning with the education. He says, go Jets, go in French. Vite l'avion, vite. Thank you very much, Chris J. Chris J. You know, hey, maybe you can get him to tell you how to say the North American <laughs> Chips in French. I should know that. I was in French immersion, but I forgot. We want to talk about cheese. We like to talk about champions. Yes. We think we're champions of Manitoba. And when Manitoba companies, Manitoba individuals do awesome stuff, we like to celebrate that. Manitoba's Bothwell Cheese is celebrating an international win after attending the World Championship Cheese Competition in, where else would it be? If it's not in France, it's got to be in Wisconsin. That's right. Bothwell's Habanero with Cracked Black Pepper Monterey Jack took the silver medal. Doesn't that sound so good? Let me repeat that for you just to get those taste buds going. Habanero with cracked Black Pepper Monterey Jack took the silver medal. Mm. Overall, a total of 26 nations were represented with awards handed out in 121 categories. So to tell us more about this, we're joined by Nathan Duick, production manager for Bothwell Cheese. Mr. Duick, good morning to you, sir. Good morning to you as well. Congratulations on this, Nathan. This is a big news, but you're sort of, sort of getting used to this, aren't you? I, I, I don't want to diminish the accomplishment in any way, but this is a regular occurrence for Bothwell Cheese. You're absolutely right, actually. Uh, we're uh, first time actually entering into the world as a, as a learning experience just to see how this would actually uh, pan out. But uh, coming out with a win is absolutely uh, something that we're very proud of here at Bothwell. So the awards were handed out in 121 categories at this event, which happened uh, March 6th to March 8th. Which category, in which category did you win the silver medal for the Habanero with Cracked Black Pepper Monterey Jack? This was actually in a high heat category. High heat? Yeah. Are we talking like I'm not I'm not too good with the spicy. I've gotten a little better over the years, but how how much heat are we talking here? Well, we're talking habanero, so it is quite warm to begin with. So yes, uh habanero with cracked black pepper adds a beautiful flavor profile to itself right there and it's it's one of many favorites of mine as well. Now Nathan, if you're fixing a sandwich, which I'm doing in my mind's eye right now, what are you pairing this beautiful cheese with? Is this a is this a turkey pairing? Is this a black forest ham pairing? What do, what are you putting with it on your sandwich? Good question actually. I'm more of a, a turkey person, so I probably would probably go with the turkey actually. Uh, personally. And, it, and is there a, a particular condiment that that works well to to complement this cheese? Um good question actually. I'm not much of a of uh, what do you call um, a food connoisseur to say the least, but uh, cheese definitely. So I uh, would, uh, I don't know, I guess leave it to your imagination to be honest. Okay. A nice little uh, mayonnaise, uh, be nice and simple, you know, just to cool uh, off the taste buds a little oh. bit. Have a glass of milk handy just in case you need it. <laughs> Nathan, what is it that makes Bothwell cheese distinctive? What is it that make it, makes it plain and simply taste so darn good? Well... I would say it's uh, years of experience. We've been around since 1936. Um, So uh, I would state that the cheese that uh, we create over here has a special attention to detail. 
there's a lot of work that goes involved with it there. The staff here are very dedicated to creating a very good quality product, and we have a lot of steps in process that uh, that that allow us to actually uh, meet these uh, customer demands and also our quality demands as well. Now, I understand as well that on top of getting the silver medal for the habanero with cracked black pepper Monterey Jack in the high heat category, uh, you, you, fit, you placed fairly high in a couple of other categories too. Uh, tell us about those. You're absolutely correct, actually. Uh, we're primarily more of a, a cheddar facility. So we entered into the mild and the medium and the aged cheddar, sharp cheddar, I should say it, categories. And those we placed in uh, the top 10 categories. So seventh place in the mild, fifth place in the medium, and seventh place in the sharp cheddar, which is actually very hard to obtain. Outstanding. As I think those are kind of the hallmark categories for a lot of people, right? That that. That are you looking to, to to looking to to rate cheeses. So, is there a secret in the factory there, other than the love and attention from the from the staff? Like, are you playing music for the cheese, or you know, like, what, 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 is there some sort of secret ingredient? Uh, obviously, it's a secret. You couldn't tell us. But is there something that 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 you do there that 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 is uh, keeping you in these competitions? Good question. Actually, we don't exactly what you would call tuck it in for night, to say the least. But we uh, we do pay a, a very close attention with the quality program here and uh, and uh, keep it on uh, very close tabs as every step of the process goes through. So, so Nathan Duick, a production manager for Bothwell Cheese, the uh, the winners are recognized at an awards banquet at the International Cheese Technology Expo in Milwaukee. Wisconsin on April 19. What kinds of uh, cheese technology were on display this year? Did you learn anything new? Well, there are many different suppliers of different types of equipment. Uh, We got to see a lot of uh, new and uh, improved uh, items that are out there. So I would state... Good question, actually. They're, they're, those are more of a technical questions for more of our uh, engineers here that are looking for certain equipment to meet certain needs. But there's a lot of advancements in, in the dairy industry uh, with, uh, with a lot of uh, quality checks, uh, getting things done quicker, more on, uh, what do you call it there? Um, Sorry, I'm, I'm just drawing that's, a blank. That's okay, now. Nathan. <laughs> Quality control is obviously a, a hallmark of what you do there, and increasing technology uh, in every business uh, is obviously imperative. So we appreciate you taking us behind the scenes, and uh, congratulations to everyone there at Bothwell. Well, thank you very much. All right, Nathan Duick, production manager for Bothwell Cheese, once again getting the silver medal at a global competition for the high heat category. Is this a little cliche for you guys? Daryl and Shirley Peters joining us in studio. Is this too predictable, this song? No, it's one of our favorites for sure. Okay, fantastic. Well, have you ever dreamed or dreamt of running away to Africa? These two did, and they did it, and they're there, and they're back. Uh, in their hometown to tell us all about, uh, well, they're, I'm guessing now their favorite place on earth. Uh, I know how much you'd love it here, but. Tanzania's home. Tanzania's home We've now? crossed over. How's your hockey team doing over there in Tanzania? <laughs> <laughs> how about, that'd be football, a.k.a. soccer. <laughs> yeah, not doing, not doing as well as the Jets, so you still got a little bit of affection for home, yeah? yeah.
Yes, we do. Uh, It's uh, great to see you again. It's been a couple of weeks for top five favorite guests. And uh, Brett, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but for me, uh, last year, uh, I think Daryl and Shirley Peters would have fit in our top five list of uh, guests we had on our afternoon show. No, that's uh, I concur. Yeah, we had a blast with the two of you last year. Uh, Dashir Lodge and Safaris is what it's called. And uh, before we talk about the information sessions that you have coming up, um, maybe just sort of give us a, a refresher, Shirley. You, you uprooted and went to Africa. Where did you uproot from and why? Oh, boy. We uprooted from Winnipeg. Actually, it was in the prenups. Um, I, we, I met Daryl in Bible School, Winnipeg Bible College, now Providence Bible College in Audubon, and it was in the prenups. But before that, when I was 12, I went to our church in Winkler, Manitoba, and there were a bunch of gray hairs, gray-head people there like me, and they. I went home and told my mom, I'm going to Africa someday. I don't know who was speaking. I can't remember it. None of my friends went with me. Then Bible school, met guys and said, do you want to go to Africa? And they'd say, no. And Daryl said, yes. So it was in the prenups. It was at uh, Robin's Donuts, that fateful night. We were sharing a donut and the conversation went to Africa and the possibility of getting married and spending life together. And Shirley just said bluntly, if you'll take me to Africa, we can get married. If not, we'll just be good friends. Well, you know the rest of the story. <laughs> and what a story it is. So tell us uh, about the Sheer Lodge and, and what an incredible opportunity, what an incredible experience it is for your visitors. Uh, what we say to people all the time is this is about life for us. Um, the business follows our life, and we want to live with people in community, get to know their needs, uh, get to know their life. We go to funerals and weddings. And uh, we want to share that with uh, first world people and people from the West to get them not just into the safari culture, not just up to Kilimanjaro, not just to Zanzibar Island on the beach, but just to get into ordinary everyday life where they can share photos that they take with young kids. They can enjoy a meal with a family. They can go to a coffee tour and meet people along the way and talk to older people and just experience, you know, what we think is the best of Africa, the, the natural life of Africa, not all the you know, the horror stories you sometimes hear, but the beautiful life of the people around us. That's that's our dream. And what is it? Uh, you, so you wanted to go to Africa since you were a kid. What is it that drew you there in the first place? Like, why did you have this pull to go to Africa? You know, that's hard to answer because I went to Zambia first and then we had a window period of when I was in Bible school. Then we had a window period of time when our kids were 9, 11 and 13. And we went to Botswana with Mennonite Central Committee as a mission for three years, and we knew we always wanted to go back but didn't know where. I think it's the people. It gets in your blood. You ask any of our guests who've come to our lodge, um, and they will say, we get people coming back every year. It's like the New Mexico. They keep coming back, keep coming back every year for sometimes a month, some people, um, those who are retired especially. It gets in your blood, and there's so much to do, and the people are so hospitable, and something we're creating is community, friendship, um, and family. If you want a big resort, go to Mexico or somewhere else. But we're not about that. We're about um, building relationships with people. And the African people are so hospitable, so warm and loving, and it gets in your blood. Most people who leave, many who leave, have tears in their eyes and they say, I don't want to leave because it, it just is so enriching, enriching your life, changing your life in such great ways. The website is dashirlodgeandsafaris.com. That's spelled D-A-S-H-I-R, lodgeandsafaris.com. And I'm just looking at one picture, sort of an aerial shot of the lodge. It just looks beautiful. And you were. Uh, it sounds like you're getting ready to do some expanding. 
Yep, we're on the move right now to build four, uh, six more rooms and a large swimming pool, 100,000 liter swimming pool. So we're moving up to 11 rooms. And that's going to be kind of the cap or the end of it because we want to create a personal service and be able to meet our guests and socialize and make sure it's a, uh, a very personal offering. But what I'm excited about is actually a million liter reservoir pond that we just uh, dug. It's the only thing we've done by hand on the whole site. Everything's been done by hand, but we got a machine to do it because we scoped it out and found out it would take a year and two months for 16 people to build it, to wow. dig it. 10 hours a day. So that was a bit too much. We got a machine. Our Korean neighbor came in, dug it out, moved the soil around the land, and now we have a million liters ready to go to help with our, our pool and our irrigation and our, our, our fruit trees and our other wow. things that are going. So I'm excited about that and all the birds and the fish and everything that will come. Now you're, you're in the heart of the wet season in, in Tanzania. For those that aren't very good at geography... Help us uh, understand where in Africa Tanzania is and the diverse ecology, the diverse environments that that are encapsulated within within this amazing country. Yeah, Tanzania is in East Africa, which is Swahili speaking, Uganda, Kenya, Burundi and Rwanda. And uh, it's right close to the ocean, the the Indian Ocean, which is warm year year round. We're 1100 meters above sea level, which is a moderate climate all year long too. And there's so many resources. There's the Serengeti, the Kilimanjaro and the mountains and the beach close by and over 400 species of birds just in the Serengeti itself. It's really quite a, a paradise. And Gorongoro Crater is is a 15 kilometer wide sunken volcano, which has the highest density of mammals in the world. So we think it's like the best place to experience the best of Africa, safari, mountain climbing and beach. So you've been sort of crisscrossing the nation uh, doing information sessions. I see you're in Ottawa, April 16, 17, Mississauga, April 18, 19, Calgary. Uh, you just came from Abbotsford, and you made a comment, because I remember, were you were you both sick last year when you came to see us, or was it just you, uh, Daryl? <laughs> both of us. <laughs> so and this is something that usually happens, you say, when you come back, right? Well, I think we are a little bit busy last year, too, and... Last year, we spoke in 11 cities 15 times. This time, we're only speaking 10 times and in five cities because our son is getting married, and we really want to focus on that. Wow. He'd be writing us every day saying, are you guys sick yet? Are you guys sick yet? (laughs) Because we want to be able to celebrate with family and friends. So that's our main focus. But also, um, Winnipeg, believe it or not, hats off to this city. 45% of our business is from Winnipeg alone. 50% alone is from all of Manitoba and surrounding area. So we say hats off to the Winnipeggers and the people in the area who know us and those who've come to know us and continue to promote our place. We we are humbled and honored. So when you talk about, uh, you know, this is the home of hospitality in in Canada, we like to think. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Newfoundland gives us a little bit of a run for our money. But you're, you've taken that brand of hospitality and you've transplanted it. You've taken it to this lodge. Sure. And, and not only a relationship with people who come to visit, you've got very special relationship for the people that work for you, Daryl. Yes. Our, our staff is our, our family. And so when you come to our lodge, you visit our family and become part of the family. At the first day that you come and wake up in the morning, you meet our staff and we have a get together around a circle as we do every day. And we share our a little bit of butter about ourselves and have a chance to mix so that when guests have a chance to see people later, they can go up and talk to people. So if we always say if you're looking for a white glove experience, uh, that's not us. Go somewhere else. But if you're looking to c- go to a home, and a lot of guests come back from safari, they come to our place, go for safari and come back, and they say, oh, 
now we're home again. <laughs> and something <laughs> Which you really gotta makes know. Us feel good. Something you gotta know. We're number one right now again on TripAdvisor out of 210 specialty lodges in the Arusha area. Uh, we know our team is second to none. Um, Musa, our bartender, I had my own private uh, training driving school with him. We raise everybody from the ground up. Any of their heart's desires, we want to make it come true. So I taught him how to drive about nine lessons. It quite scared me. Secretly, Secretly from me. Secretly from Daryl. <laughs> and then, and then, and then now these last two weeks while truly, we've been in tr- Canada, we've been celebrating because he passed his driver's test in the two-week course in Tanzania. Sh- so we're Shirley, excited. Shirley came home one day and it was late. And I said, why are you, why are you always coming, coming home so late from Arusha on the shopping days? You know, can't you get everything done? And then eventually it came out that, she told me, "Oh yeah, we've been doing these driving lessons when it's getting dark on the on the back roads." <laughs> <laughs> I'm just at TripAdvisor.ca. If you just Google TripAdvisor.ca and then to Sheer Lodge, you'll find it. Uh, the overview: it's got a 5.0 rating at excellent. And uh, just looking at more of the pictures now, yeah, this just looks staggeringly beautiful. I'm not exaggerating just for the sake of uh, blowing smoke for our guest here. This is really, if you want a unique uh, experience, this, wow, this is, sorry, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little lost. You know, kind it of just says it takes odd. a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a family to raise a lodge. And it takes people across Canada and our friends and our family and our African family who cheer us on. We do not do this alone. It's not in a vacuum. We're going into our eighth year living there and only four years being open. Um, it's quite a miracle. And it's only, only God's grace, truly. Now, Daryl um, and Shirley Peters, you're so likable. Uh, uh, we both adore you, but there got to be people that, that really don't like you very much. I mean, <laughs> you are living the dream, something that something that so many of us imagine doing, imagine cutting ties and, and breaking free and following that vision, following a dream. Uh, maybe just a, a, some words on that about, you know, it's fear for most of us that prevent us from doing it. What was it that allowed you to actually say, yeah, you know what, after this donut, we're planning a, our move to Africa? Well, number one, of course, it was in the prenups. So I was bound. So so that's good. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's good to yeah. have some sort of legal binding contract. Yes, that's right. And I, I fulfilled my duty. I, I was I had to bring her to Africa and I had to build her a round house. So <laughs> I'm doing both of those things. We're in the process of building a, a round house on the top of a hill as well. And we call it Mama's House because, uh, you know, she gets the house and I get a little corner office in the house that I get to have. So, <laughs> okay. So, but, uh, you know, I've always say I'm not a brave person, but we've made decisions that have caused us to be brave. And we bought this place in 10 minutes over the phone. And it was just like, a, like you, you can say it's a faith thing. We believe it's a faith thing. Other people call it a gut thing. But it's just something that we felt intent on doing is to give our life to Africa. It was in our hearts to do it. I can't explain it. You know, it's one of those things. And we did it. And uh, we didn't do it alone. We did it with a community, as Shirley has said. And uh, God has been faithful. And we've been, um, we're, we're just so, we just feel so grateful to be where we're at right now and to be able to share this piece of what we call paradise, not just, you know, the environment, but the people. You know, it's the people that are that are awesome, and they just have a heartbeat like which is different from any other part of the world. Also, it's Daryl who leads our family and who leads me, which is difficult to lead. <laughs> and the things that he does and the guests that see what he does, they're in awe. Not only is he planning your safaris, not only is he planning all the building. Um, and doing all the website stuff and getting ready for these trips here across Canada and all our flights and planning your trips. Um, he's a man with many hats, but he's very, very humble. I'm the party and Daryl's the plan. <laughs> and everybody knows that. And I make people feel at home. And 
Like I say, we have an awesome team. We hold things loosely in life. If we should lose it all tomorrow, bottom line is we're going to move to Masaini in the bush where the Maasai are, and we'll find something to do there. And who cares about the lodge? I don't think that'll happen. But you learn very early in times in Africa to hold things loosely, and it's only God's grace and favor. And the many, like I say, the Canadians and especially the Manitobans that are coming to our place and bringing more and more people. And even we had a guy with a big Saskatchewan Rough Rider Jersey on the came from there? Yeah, no, he came in his big green gear and he's we a big giant. All kinds. He was a gentle giant and he came on the land and he landed that day and he said, you know, by the end of the day he goes, you know, I was a little bit scared. I was scared to come here and 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 and, and we sent a lot of money to come and do this experience because Tanzania is not cheap. But he says, um, by the end of the day, I'm home. I love it here. The Sheer Lodge and Safaris.com is the website. The information sessions are tomorrow and Wednesday. So Tuesday, Wednesday, May 1st, May 2nd, in the evening, 7 to 8 p.m. at MBCI. That's 173 Talbot. If you want more information on that, just shoot me an email, brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com. Again, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, 7, 8 p.m., MBCI. Daryl and Shirley Peters from DeSheer Lodge and Safaris, thank you so much for coming back to visit Thank you. We'll have to compete against the Winnipeg Jets. That'll be a tough sell. (laughs) (laughs) That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Channel Evendale. And thank you for listening to CJOB. (laughs) 